Good morning. My name is Ruth Fries, and I'm the Director of Disability Services and Academic Achievement here at UNW. And historically, we've taken time each fall to bring awareness to the many people that live their everyday lives with a disability. We recognize the immense contributions of disabled individuals who are successful students, athletes, performers, accountants, teachers, pastors, leaders, musicians, computer programmers, healthcare providers, scientists, activists, and authors. Disabilities can be visible or invisible, but the impact they have on an individual's daily living activities can be intense. As we hear our guests today share their story, we ask each person to open their eyes and ears to those around you. Be aware and commit to offer respect, dignity, and equity for all. So today I have the privilege to introduce you to two special speakers. Marcus Bachman is a UNW alum who graduated in 2022. He is currently employed as a full-time accountant. As a student at UNW, he worked for the Academic Achievement Department as a TA and an editor for the UNW Examiner newspaper. Marcus was such a blessing to our team and to fellow students as he could personally relate to the challenges of navigating college and generously shared his practical strategies, tools, and resources. Along with his full-time job, Marcus is currently a member of the Partners of Policymaking Program through the Minnesota Governor's Council on Developmental Disabilities. Marcus is the co-author of this great book, Embracing Remarkable, a book that I highly recommend. And here today with Marcus is Deb. Deb is the mom of Heather, Marcus, and Noah Bachman. Married to husband Mike for 33 years, she is a registered nurse, disability advocate, and co-author of this amazing book. So together they are here to share their personal story of courage, love, and hope. Please give a warm welcome to Marcus and Deb. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I could listen to y'all sing all morning. That was lovely. Thank you. Um, and what a blessing. You know, a year and a half ago, uh, me and about 15 other family and friends sat right back there. Marcus was going to walk across this very place to get his accounting degree. And it was an exciting day for us, as his graduation for everyone. And you know how... They always ask people, please hold your applause until all the names have been read. We were that family that did not exactly honor that. Um, there was a lot of jumping and clapping and loud cheering going on when they said his name. We were celebrating, I mean big time, because it was even more exciting than when he graduated high school, when he went to kindergarten for the first time. Honestly, it was on par with uh, the first time we brought him home from the hospital. He was five months and six days old. That was a huge day. Um, our celebrating really did even go back farther than that. It was to the day he was born. I knew something wrong, was wrong with my newborn the first time I held him. His cry was really quiet, hoarse sounding, and he had some brown bubbles popping out of his mouth. I held him for about a minute, and then two hours later, three doctors we had never met before came in and told my husband and I, you have a decision to make. 
You can do nothing and surely your baby will die. Or you can allow us to do a surgery we've never done before and still your baby will probably die. If he does live, he'll need a trach tube in his throat to breathe, a feeding tube to eat, long-term IV for medications and treatments. He may never walk, talk, eat. They left my husband and I alone, and I was in shock. I mean, no parent ever wants to hear anything like this. But my husband turned to me crying, put his hands on my shoulders, looked in my eyes, and said, no matter what, we will be okay. And he was very convinced and convicted, no matter what, we will be okay. It was exactly the words I needed to hear at that moment, that he was on the same page as me. And we were going to give Marcus a chance. So Marcus has, was born with what's called a laryngeal cleft type four. You've probably never heard of that, it's very rare. But in the front here you can feel that you have um, a very rigid structure, that's your airway, that's your trachea. Right behind that is your esophagus, where you swallow food, water safely to your stomach. They're two different tubes that lie close together but have very different functions. For whatever reason, Marcus's was one tube and did not separate into the two. That's not gonna work. Back in 1999, um, this, uh, this diagnosis had a 97% mortality rate. Marcus had a surgery on his first day that lasted 12 hours. And here he is a few days after that surgery, and he looks actually pretty good right here. Um, it, it, was, it was tough. Um, and I wish I could say that that first surgery, you know, solved everything, but it didn't. But um, however, here, and here's our first family photo in the NICU. At age 24, Marcus is the oldest survivor with this condition, or as a dad of a one-year-old with this condition said to reporters recently, Marcus is the oldest living human on planet Earth born with a laryngeal cleft type four. Exactly. <laughs> so back to the original surgery didn't fix everything. Marcus was never able to safely eat by mouth. He's had significant breathing issues. We quickly learned that what caused a runny nose in most kids was, was enough to make Marcus so sick he had to go to the hospital. We had to change everything about how we, how we lived. Lots of hand washing, we had to screen everyone who came to our house. No one could come with a sniffle or a cough or if anyone in their house was sick. It wasn't what we wanted to do, but it was what we had to do for Marcus at the time. And yet, we also did not want to just confine this child to our house. He needed to live. The world needed to meet him. And we were very, very fortunate when he made it to his first birthday. He was the first child in Bloomington to attend school in person with a trach. And we've been um, so blessed, is the only word I can really think of, in the people that God has put in his life. We've had so many incredible people in the education field, the health field, our church, our neighborhood, our family, people who've stepped forward and really been in Marcus's corner. Long ago, I've lost count how many surgeries he's had, how many days, months, weeks he's spent in the hospital. 
Um, when you have someone in your family with a medically complex disability, it changes the whole family. However, there's only one person in our family that can talk to what it is like firsthand to be that person, and that's our Marcus. Complex disability. <clears throat> Honestly and thankfully, I don't remember a lot of my surgeries, my illnesses, or my recoveries as a little kid. Honestly, even with my disabilities that have been with me my whole life, I would just focus on being a kid. You know, being on a bike, being on a swing, going out. I didn't see myself really any differently. Even though I had to have a nurse go with me to school when I was little. Or when I'd have to have homebound schooling because I'd be too sick to go. Or even when I would get pulled out of my regular class to go into a special class with other students who were deaf and hard of hearing. Honestly, for me, the term disability didn't really start to sink in until about sixth grade. But even at that time, the only thing I saw and complained about was my hearing loss. So, for me, echoey, noisy environments are a nightmare because it's next to impossible for me to hear what is being said clearly. I can't tell who's saying what, and I can't tell where it's always coming from. And honestly, it's mentally exhausting to try. I can only hear my left ear with a hearing aid, and I'm totally deaf in my right ear. When I came here to Northwestern as a student, I had a Bluetooth microphone and a Bluetooth hearing aid both of which I still have today. And with the microphone, I'd give that to the professor, and it'd be like they were speaking right into my ear without being right in my ear. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was talking with classmates or without the microphone at all, I would have to have my good ear facing whoever was talking to me, and or we'd have to go to a quieter environment. Sometimes, with the hearing loss, I don't always hear things correctly, so sometimes I may give a really odd response. <laughs> um, but I do appreciate when people are willing to re-ask the question instead of going, what the heck? <laughs> um, and I, I don't mean to be ignorant looking. I don't mean to be ignorant. It's because of my hearing challenges. Um, and I also, as a someone with hearing loss, I appreciate when someone taps me on the shoulder or they're coming at me from the front so I can get a visual. However, to be clear, having a hearing loss is not technically part of being medically complex, with a med having a medically complex disability. Instead, in our family, we call it a bonus issue. <laughs> so, um, when I was eight and a half years old, I got my first trach removed, so, and it was very freeing to not have to breathe through a tube. It was very freeing to be able to clear my, my issues on my own. The recovery was difficult, but the freedom I felt outweighed it. However, the, rest, the severity, the seriousness of the term disability 
but specifically medically complex disability, did not begin to sink in until I was about eighth or ninth grade. In eighth grade, I was having severe lung issues in the form of coughing out blood every day. In ninth grade, I lost two-thirds of my right lung, and I could not go back to school, which killed me because I enjoyed being in school physically. The recovery itself took six months. But during that time I was at home, I was blessed with a wonderful teacher named Mr. Wise. Yes, that was his last name. He was a, and honestly, he was a, a gift from God. Um, but in, in, you know, in the summer between ninth and 10th grade, we thought, oh, I'm healthy enough, I'll go back. So back to school I went in person in 10th grade, which worked until the infection came roaring back in that winter. And then Mr. Wise came back into my life until I graduated high school. There are days I do wish I could have gone back in person, but I also know that if I hadn't, if I had been able to go back, I would not have found the online PSEO program offered here at Northwestern. So in that way, I'm thankful. But during the time in high school, I went to Texas Children's Hospital in, in Houston, Texas, and the University of Minnesota for lung transplant evaluations. At, at 16 and 17 years old, my parents and I were having a discussion no one wants to have. The question of at what point do I stop trying? If such and such scenario happens, what do you want us, your parents, to do? It's honestly not what teenagers are usually thinking about, but it was our reality. When I was a senior in high school, I had the remainder of my right lung removed due to severe infection. However, during this time too, the professors here at Northwestern, who I had that semester, were gracious enough to and willing enough to work with me to open up schoolwork ahead of time so that I could work ahead. And honestly, that semester showed me that even with medical challenges, that college is possible. It just might look a little different. And there are many people I have to thank for helping me and helping to advocate, including the professors for Ms. Ruth Fries and everyone else who has advocated for and with me over the years. Back to, back to what life is like with a medically complex disability. I can't speak to everyone because it looks different for everybody. However, there are a few factors that are usually pretty similar. For example, it can be very isolating. Extended family may step away, friends step away. It becomes lonely. And our life has to be in pencil because we don't know if it's going to work or if I'm going to get too sick. Besides the usual stuff for school, your work, get adulting, I also have to monitor aspects, all aspects of my health. I have to juggle multiple doctor appointments, multiple messages with my doctors, deal with hospitalizations, health insurance issues, maintaining and taking medication on a daily basis, and the list goes on. 
even as a believer, there are days I do struggle to just hand it over to God. But in those days where I struggle, where I just want to hang on, I have to remember what God had done for me in the past and trust that he will work it out again. Sometimes, one of the questions that I get asked is, how have I seen God work through my family's situation? And that's a difficult question for me to answer at times. Because like many of you, I'm just trying to get through the day. However, there is one story in particular that really sticks out for me. One night in the ICU, I met a pastor on one of my evening walks, and he said, you want to compare scars? This was right after my second lung removal surgery. He said, want to compare scars? And I go, huh? Uh, and he said it again. And then my dad explained that he just had his lung removed. He said, no way, I, just had, I had my lung removed when I was 18 years old. Wait, what? My jaw hit the floor. Talking to him that night, was what I needed without knowing it. And I'm thankful that six years later, we're still in contact to this day. As a little boy, Sunday school was something I enjoyed. I was blessed to have a Sunday school teacher where on the days I was healthy and I could go to church. If need be, he would take me and one or two other healthy kids into another room so that I could still be a part of it. For the days I was sick, or it's just not worth the risk, he would make sure to come to the house so that he made sure that I got my Sunday school lesson. And honestly, 20 years later, he's still very much a part of my life. So, and anyway, we started to write our story. Some people say my story, I say our story, because it's really a family story. We started to write it when my health issue became severe and we didn't really think there was anything left we could do. However, when we thought there was nothing left we could do, we got a call from Cincinnati, Ohio. A doctor there who'd known as the, the, the cleft guy for patients with my condition. How did we ever not hear about him for 20 some years? The doctor had patients with my conditions who are much younger than me and are surviving and thriving. He wanted to meet me and thinking, maybe we can help you. So I thought, okay, we'll go. I didn't expect a lot, honestly. I thought maybe they can learn something from my body and my anatomy to help other patients. But they found something. They found a hole in my esophagus, which I was fixed. And here I am during that recovery it was a very risky surgery with a long recovery. I ultimately had the trach, which is that device around my neck. Had that for seven weeks, uh, 40 days, sorry, 40 days, and we were there for seven weeks. And yet, at that time, that was during the last semester, I just stood in here at Northwestern for me. So during this time, I kept a list by my bed of hopes, goals, and dreams I wanted to achieve after the whole surgery and the recovery was over. One of those was to graduate here from Northwestern on time 
despite everything, despite the surgery. And I'm thankful that three months later, I was able to come home and walk the stage to graduate on time. Marcus may not always have been aware of how God has worked in his life, but we, we have seen it. We've had the front row seat to this. There's been thousands of people who have prayed for Marcus and have seen the results. Not always as we hope, but just as God intended, intended them, them to be and just what he needed. We see God give Marcus peace through listening to Christian music at times when peace just seems like something that just should not be there. And then he shares that peace with others who see that. When we decided to write Marcus's story, I personally had two goals. One was that he would physically hold a copy in his hand and survive to do it. The other, the other goal was that somehow it would make it into the hands of people who needed it. It's been incredible to see that happen. Um, We've heard stories, there's a nurse who bought a couple copies for a family whose son was born with the same condition. And then about a year ago, we were messaged from a mom in Boston. She has a five-year-old with a type four cleft. And he had been extremely sick and in the hospital for a long time. And as like any parent of a medically complex child, as soon as you get home and you get the energy again, you hit the internet trying to find anything that will help. And somehow she found the book and she was letting Marcus know how encouraged she was to read about a 20-year-old's life who had the same issue as her son. She actually told us she posted it on something called a laryngeal cleft support group on Facebook. And it's like, Facebook? I never knew of such a thing. And I looked, and there it was. And um, in the last year, I've seen it grow to over 1,800 people. Most of the People have a type one cleft, whereas Marcus's is a type four, more severe, but they have so many things in common. Um, and through that, last week, Marcus and two other young adults did a Zoom call for, for families on that Facebook page. And it was something I never dreamed possible or would happen. I think the thing right now I'm so excited for is seeing how God is moving Marcus in joining with his partners in policy making, where he's currently learning how to politically advocate for himself and others with disabilities. I have no idea where God's going to take this, but it's, um, it's exciting to watch. We've been blessed to share Marcus's story with nursing students, med students, other groups, um, Again, nothing I ever planned to do, but it's where God has taken us. Doctors over the years have, who have looked into Marcus's airway all say the same thing. This is the worst airway I've ever seen. And second is we have no idea how he can breathe with this. Um, they can't explain it, but we can because our God can do the impossible. One verse that I found very helpful through the years, I found it in college. 
during a very low point in my life. It's in John 9, 1 through 3. It says, as he, meaning Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That night, when I saw it, it allowed me to see my challenges and my suffering in a different light. Now, be clear, we're not telling you to run out there and share this verse with others facing difficult situations or disabilities. But rather, we are saying, tuck this one away in your own hearts. I'm hoping you won't ever need it. But if you do, I hope it brings you the comfort that it's brought me. We appreciate the opportunity to come today to speak with you all, to share our story. Hopefully we've given a little bit of insight to you of what it's like, so that you're also maybe a little more aware. And who knows, maybe one day, or maybe already without knowing it, you may be somebody's Mr. Wise, Pastor Jason, the one lung pastor, or Mr. Danny. Thank you all.